part two. I want to talk about mercy, uh, receiving mercy and walking in grace. <clears throat> God's mercy, uh, a lot of times we, we think of mercy and grace wrong because we haven't really been given language for it. And uh, I want to give some language and some practical application of how to live uh, and be a community of mercy and grace. Uh, mercy is a moment um, of forgiveness with lasting consequences. This is the aspect of God that is actually the most concerned with sin. God isn't very, uh, he's not a sin detective. He's not searching for sin uh, because he found it pretty easily. And he took care of it. Um, so he had mercy on us. He isn't evaluating you according to your actions. Uh, but he's actually uh, evaluating you and judging you according to his opinion of you already. I think that's good news right there, personally. It's a good thing he's not judging me according to my opinion of me. Though I have a pretty good opinion of myself. Yeah, right? Maybe slightly elevated above truth, but... (laughs) But sadly, most of us think uh, that his opinion is the same as the accusers of us. That's a big problem. God sees our nature. He sees the depths of, of our being, uh, not what is on the surface. Surfish. Um, he paid the wages of sin, not sins. We, we, um, he paid for sin as an as a overarching problem. Not, he's not so focused on the little ticky-tacky little things that we do because he took care of the core problem. He's not wasting his time with the symptoms. Because he actually, he knew that if he, could, if he could change our condition, it would actually change our symptoms also. If he could infect us with a new disease, then we would, forg- we would get rid of that old disease. So he infected us with the Holy Spirit. So instead of having unholy habits, we develop uh, and manifest saintly habits. I think that's pretty cool. Um, if someone were to actually forgive you of most things, but, but kind of reserve one or two things that they didn't forgive you of, what would you call that? Yeah. <laughs> Holding a grudge? A hypocrite, too. <laughs> I forgive you, except for here. God's not like that. God's mercy is not like, I forgive you, except for the thing. You know what I'm talking about. God, he doesn't do grudges. His mercies are actually new every single morning. And the person who, who wrote his mercies are new every morning was a depressed prophet in the Old Covenant. In the book of Lamentations, Jeremiah writes this. Uh, it's called Lamentations for a reason. It's, it's, it's a sad book. You read it and you're like, whoa, is there like a hope book too? Like, like part two, I got, I got over this? You know, like that'd be real nice. Um, but Jesus is, he's the savior of all men, especially believers. His mercy has covered all sin. That's 1 Timothy 4.10. God paid the price for the entire field so he could get a pearl. You know the, the parable of the, of the pearl of great price in Matthew 13? Do you know the pearl of great price isn't the gospel? The pearl of great price is you. Jesus saw the, the value in you, the, the little bit of humanity, and he said, I've, I'll buy the whole field. I'll, 
I'll pay the price for the whole field just for that. He's the save, he has saved, he has paid for all of humanity just so he could get those who might believe. His mercy is way bigger than we think. This is his loving kindness, his compassion, his tenderness towards us. But if God had to keep forgiving you uh, over and over, because we all mess up over and over and over and over, sometimes for years, if he had to keep forgiving you, that would actually communicate unsteadiness in his nature. If he, if he had to go, okay, this time I will forgive you again. But don't think you're in my good graces yet. If he was like that, that would, that, would, that would take away from the truth that he is eternal, perfect sameness. He doesn't change. When he forgives, he forgives you fully. Done. Mercy. It's a moment of forgiveness that has lasting consequences. But grace, grace isn't about sin. We talk about, how many of you have heard of like greasy grace or uh, what's the other thing? Hyper grace, sloppy grace. And they're actually applying these, these ideas to sin when the people who are preaching these things that they call hyper grace or greasy grace or whatever you want to call it, are not, they're, they're talking about how God empowers us. Now, some people do go too far, and I'm not going to name names or anything like that. I'm just saying that there are people who go into universalism, and everybody's okay and saved, and it doesn't matter. Everybody's going to get in, which is completely contrary to what Jesus said, but whatever. Mercy takes care of sin. Grace is an empowering presence for a moment, a task, or an assignment that you have in God. Grace is, is uh, I'm going to go into that. Once we have been transferred out of the domain of darkness, notice that it's not the kingdom of darkness. There's no king in darkness because there's no actual authority. It's usurped uh, control. It's not authority. So there's no king. There's no crowns in darkness. <clears throat> Once we've been transferred out of the, uh, the domain of darkness and into the kingdom of light, our nature actually becomes like the king of that, of that kingdom. The father of lights. James 1.17 says he's the father of lights. In 1 Thessalonians 5.5, Paul says that we are children of light. And so we actually, our nature becomes light. When you, when you stop, when you, when you get transferred out of the domain of darkness, you actually become light. Your nature changes to light. And so that means that every situation you go into, you actually change the visibility in that situation. Because you are light. The operating system of the new covenant is grace. You know how you have operating systems on your computer or on your phone? Grace is the operating system of the new covenant. It's how things work. It's uh, mercy kind of wipe the hard drive of the old thing. You're like, okay, there goes that Windows XP. <laughs> Bring on Vista. Or whatever it is now. Who even cares anymore? Just get a Mac. I got on some people's bad side there. But grace actually runs things. 
in, in our, it, it's the new way that things run. And there are made, there's the major operating system of the Holy Spirit. Now we've got the, we've got the grace of the Holy Spirit. He's with us. But then there's like little special graces, little empowering presences for uh, a specific task or sometimes for a person. Have you ever needed a grace for a person? Um, ever needed a grace for me right now? Um, those are like little apps on your phone that are, that are graces. The old rules of the old operating system don't apply to you anymore. You've got a new operating system. You have grace now. And as you walk in grace, you're going to see that, that your royalty actually makes you exempt from the old rules. This is why Jesus said in Matthew 17, 25 and 26, he's, he says, hey, uh, who pays the, the tax to the Caesars and the kings? Do the subjects or do the princes pay it? They're like, well, of course, the, it's the, the subjects have to pay it. And he says, so, and I think it's verse 26, he actually says, so sons are exempt, huh? Oh. When you're royalty, everything changes. The rules change. Paul says in Colossians 2.20, why as though you were living in the world do you submit to its rules? Kind of reveals that we're kind of bilocational. You're here, but you're also not here. How's that feel? <laughs> Let's get too mystical in here. Okay, we'll move on. So then, in Matthew 12, we we see that Jesus is telling a, a parable, and or he's not telling a parable. He's they're walking through this field, and the disciples, being just a little, you know, they're they're probably teenagers. It's basically his youth group. He's walking. Through and, and they're going, oh, look, food. The Pharisees, who are so, for some reason following them. <laughs> like, do you have nothing else to do except for bother us? What's your deal? They're like, hey, you can't do that on the Sabbath. <laughs> Jesus is like, do you read your own Bible? And he defends them saying, even David did this in the Old Covenant. He, he could go and do this because he had hunger. Because ro- he knew his royal nature. And the, the rules didn't apply to him. This is not to say there's no rules in the New Covenant. In fact, the, the reins actually get tighter, but more liberating. Sermon on the Mount shows us that lust is adultery. Rage is murder. Exaggeration, exaggera- exaggeration is lying, and so on and so forth. He actually takes it a whole other level further. So we have to learn how to live in this new setup. So we have to learn how, how to actually receive mercy and walk in grace. Because it's one thing for God to give you, extend mercy, and extend grace to you. It's another thing for you actually to take it in and make it a part of your life. Receiving mercy means letting God's word about you actually be true in your own heart. That means you have to actually be forgiven. You have to say, I'm forgiven. It means letting go of your opinion of yourself. Even if it's a really good one, like mine. <laughs> this changes our repentance from, oh God, will you please forgive me? To, thank you that you've already forgiven me. Mercy already happened. You have to just receive it. 
And sometimes you have to receive it over and over and over. You have to, you have to remind yourself that you're forgiven sometimes. Anybody ever experienced that? Oh, yeah, I'm forgiven. I am forgiven. <laughs> Brain, remember. But remember that grace is not about sin. Grace is an empowering presence for a moment, a task, or an assignment that God has given you. Time after time, Paul and the other writers of the New Testament said grace to you over and over and over when they would start their letters. They were declaring the empowering presence of God needed for those people, those places, and the purposes that they were writing for. Walking in grace is so much more than power over sin. It's, it's not just uh, not sinning. It's going past that. If you stay in the, in the rut of, I'm, just don't sin, just don't sin, just don't sin, all you're going to be is sin-focused. And so boring. And so exhausting. The old covenant had a mercy seat. The new covenant has a throne of grace. That's Hebrews 4.16. And the Bema seat, or the, the mercy seat, was a place of judgment and evaluation. It was action-obsessed. But the throne of grace is what we approach, not just for forgiveness. If you see in, in uh, Hebrews 4.16, uh, the writer of Hebrews, which I would like to correct myself from my last sermon, the, I was proven wrong. The writer of Hebrews was not a woman. So someone proved, Marvin actually proved it to me in the Greek. So I retract that. I apologize for my heresy. <laughs> I accept your forgiveness. Um, what was I even saying right there? Um, the throne of grace... It, it, he says, he says in, in uh, Hebrews 4 that we go to uh, receive mercy and find grace. It's not just getting the forgiveness, but it's so that we could also uh, get the grace in time of need. See, the, the throne of grace is actually a place of authority. It's, it's where we access the plans that God has for us, the anointings that we have that he has for us, the permissions and the tools, the assignments that he has for us. If you want to think of graces, think of graces like you've got the overall anointing of the Holy Spirit, but you've got a grace for a specific moment. Are you, is that making sense? Like we've got to get away from this idea of like grace is, is something other than, than just like forgiveness. It's, it's, it's power. It's like the, the power presence. It's the endorsement of God or it's your endorsement on somebody else or somebody's endorsement on you. Mercy was new every morning for that weeping prophet in the Old Covenant. But grace is new for every assignment of the joyful apostles of the New Covenant. We need to ask for grace all the time. Not because it actually runs out, but because it, it needs to be renewed. That you come to something new all the time. The grace that you had for yesterday isn't going to work for today. Have you ever noticed that? Like, oh, just enjoying God's presence. Then you get to the next day and you're like, Okay, I'm going to need something new right now. You've experienced that? The application of grace actually becomes different. How many of you are uh, Final Four NCAA followers right now? Do we have anybody that's, that's cool? Okay, we've got, we've got seven cool people in the whole building. All right. 
The rest of you can get saved later. We'll do an altar call. Um, every game in the tournament is it requires something new. There's a new, it's a new opponent. The overall the the objective, the overall grace or command is score more points than them and don't let them, you know, hurt you. I guess. But every game, you have to prepare differently. Every day, you have to prepare differently because you're going to have different challenges every single day. That's why they actually have timeouts. Okay, we're going to, come on, guys, we're going to try something new. That's what quiet times are for. That's what getting along with the Lord is for. All right, I need, I need the grace in my time of need. I need something special right now because fill in the blank, whatever your need is. He goes, okay. Here's your, here's your assignment. Actually, walking in, in grace truly and walking in, in the graces that he's given you requires you to be very consistently dependent upon his presence. It, it, takes a, it actually takes a lot more effort because <laughs> things change. God is able, uh, he's sovereign, meaning that he's able to accomplish his will, but the actions of other people actually can get in the way and then you've got to shift on the fly. Need a new grace, which is why we we really want to be a community marked by mercy and grace, right? Remember that from part one. Uh, there goes my entire screen. There it goes. Um, from part one, I talk. I was talking about manifesting and uh, deliverance. That Jesus sees us, not what we're manifesting. When He looks at you, He doesn't go, Vince. You are so arrogant. He goes, Vince, you are so confident. I love that about you. Don't go that far. (laughs) But that's our call, to to actually have mercy on people uh, when they make mistakes and to extend grace to people. When they, uh, to people so that they can actually accomplish more than they could have otherwise. The only reason you can like walk up to somebody, put your hand on them, and then be healed is because you have the grace of the Lord on you. You couldn't do that otherwise. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. But you have the grace, you have the empowering presence of God that wants to heal, and so you can do more than that. So apply that to your interactions with other people. Your, your objective and the, the grace that you show to somebody else, grace for somebody else in a community is saying, hey, I'd like to empower and endorse you to do something you couldn't do before. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. 2 Corinthians 3.17. The atmosphere of freedom is the Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit is, that's where freedom shows up. If we're wanting to carry a spirit of revival and freedom... As a community, then we must be marked by mercy and grace. It's essential. You've heard of the golden rule. I'm going to give you the uh, golden mirror rule. Matthew seven twelve says, Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. We all know that one. We quote that to people. Then Jesus says in Matthew twenty five forty, what you do to other people, you do to me. So let's slam these two together. 
if Jesus is hidden inside of other people, do unto other people what you would want him to do to you. I know. That's what my brain did, too. Yesterday, the Lord just dropped this on me. I was going, like, Scooby? If Jesus is hidden in other people, then the golden rule reveals an either terrifying or liberating reality that our, our actions towards other people are requests for God to treat us likewise. I am. If Jesus is hidden in other people, then the golden rule of Matthew seven twelve is either a terrifying or liberating reality that our actions towards other people are requests for God, who is hidden inside them, but is also seated in heaven above, moving on our behalf to treat us likewise. This is where demons got the idea of karma. What you do to others will be returned to you. Treat others like you would like God to treat you. Do you want God to be generous to you? Be generous to other people. Do you want him to show you favor? Then what do you need to do? Find someone who doesn't deserve your support and give it to them. Cover them when they steward it poorly. Do you want God to search your life for things that could possibly disqualify you for things that you're called to? Then by all means, evaluate people all around you and find reasons to disqualify them. Hold them back from their calling. That's a great way to get yourself disqualified. Do you want to be empowered and endorsed? Then find people who are powerless and rejected and empower them and accept them. That's how we walk as a community of mercy and grace. But this is where it gets really difficult because uh, this is where true freedom becomes truly available. We actually treat others like we treat ourselves. Scary, huh? This is why Jesus said that we are to love our neighbors like we love ourselves. It's kind of an indictment. He's like, guys, love yourself first. Appreciate who you are, and then you can actually give it out. That's, that's Mark twelve thirty one. We have to get our, our view of self right before we can actually give out love. We have to receive his love first and actually agree with it, and then we can love. But mercy and grace and love are easy to give out if we have received them first. But being shown mercy, given grace, and uh, even being loved are not the same as receiving mercy. Grabbing the grace that has been given to us and running with it and, and leaning into it and knowing that we're loved. We all know about the love languages, right? Anyone who's seriously considered and applied that book to their life or the, the concept of, the, of love languages knows that you love people the way that you want them to love you back. If you, uh, if you are a gifts person and you, and you just, all you want is people to just give you gifts, then, you, then you'll be like, here, let me buy your, let me buy your coffee. And, and it's like you saying, hey, love me back like this. That's why the most encouraging people in the world are the people who need to be encouraged. This is because we innately know the spiritual law of reciprocity, Christian karma. 
we know that what we do out is going to come back to us. Our actions are boomerangs. That's a Jeremy idea. So what does this look like practically in our community? It means act like Jesus in every moment. Go get your WWJD bracelet out of the closet. (laughs) Put it back on your wrist and look at it every hour. We need to... We need to act like Jesus. We need to be like intentional and conscious about how we are interacting with other people because you are actually, on two different levels, you are, you are affecting your own life and reality. You are sowing into them what you want to reap back to yourself. Because the Jesus in them is seeing how you're, you're treating them. And he's saying, how would you like to be treated? Oh, like that? Well, I don't do that. You might do that, but I don't do that, so I'm going to have to just wait until you do something different. But also, you are showing people Jesus. When people look at you, they're seeing some image of Jesus, and it's either a false image of Jesus or a real image of Jesus. So the way that we, that we live in mercy and grace is that we live in that reality and we treat other people like Jesus would, always, which takes intentionality. It means changing your words. It means changing your actions. It means being very intentional, and it and it takes it takes time to like change the way you think, which is called repentance. But once you've changed that and your your brain works right, it's so easy, and people and people are like, oh, you just. Jeremy and I got an email about this from a, a former student just this week saying, you guys love so well. And, and even when you're tired and hangry, <laughs> you still find a way to step past your, your flesh and, and you just love us. And you're just like Jesus. And it, was, it was such a, it was so honoring. Like at my computer going. <laughs> <laughs> but it just becomes natural. I mean, we're not trying. We're not, we're not like, okay, now I'm going to act like Jesus. It is acting time. Like, it, it has to become real in you. But sometimes you have to force yourself, be like Jesus, be like Jesus. And then you're like, oh, okay, this is actually way better. So be, uh, be Jesus to other people, especially in moments of forgiveness and empowerment when they need mercy and grace. Practically, in moments of mercy... If you're needing forgiveness for something, just humble yourself and ask for it. That's how we create a community here of, of, of mercy, is just ask for mercy. I did something really stupid. I'm so sorry. What can I do to, to make this right? Now, if you are the forgiver, not the forgivee, I want to tell you something that my dad t- taught me when I was a kid. If somebody asks for forgiveness, don't say it's okay. Because it's not okay. Say, I forgive you. You have authority to forgive, not just offenses towards you. In in John 20, 23, Jesus gives us authority, authority to forgive sins. Period. That's crazy talk. 
I mean, that, I mean, we have so much power. We need to actually use the power of our words to forgive people. And then once you forgive somebody, really forgive them. Let it go. Let it die. It's done. Don't bring it up. Don't hold a grudge. Don't be like that false image of God that we have so often that he's, we have to get forgiveness again and again and again. But forgive them. Use that grace to forgive sin. How many of you have read uh, Keep Your Love On by Danny Silk? Good, there's like 19 people that are still saved. We're, get, we're getting better. We were at 7, now we're at 19. Uh, I highly recommend this book. Uh, it's like my number two or three favorite book that has been most impact, impactful for my life. Um, and he talks about creating powerful people. And the way that we do that is to give people options, give them the ability to make their own choices, to empower people, not only in their relationship with the Lord, but their, in their life and in their relationship with us. You are a powerful person. If you are offending me and, it, and it, you're hurting me, I'm going to empower you to change until I'm going to empower you over there. You can change. And then when you're done changing and you'd like to be in a relationship with me, you can come back over here and relate to me correctly. But grace is about giving people access to the power that's already inside of them. Did you catch that? It's already inside of you. When Jesus uh, said to, uh, it's in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he, uh, the woman is, uh, gets healed, or she's coming for healing, and he says, daughter, your faith has healed you. It was already inside of her, and, it, and the, the very thing that, that actually healed her was her own faith inside of her. The things that you need are already inside of you. God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Everything you need for life is already inside of you. But we have to see the gold in other people and not see the tarnish on top and then empower them and call it out. Oh, do I go here? Yes, I do. <laughs> Women are, are already powerful. The problem isn't that women are powerless. The problem is that people are limiting freedom of other people around them. Both men and women are limiting men and women. That's the problem. That people are limiting other people because they were, their power was limited by somebody else or by thoughts that they have about themselves and about other people or whatever. We need to take a step higher and see that our task is not to empower women in ministry, but to refuse to disempower anyone in any way. It's not just about women. It's about race. It's about uh, immaturity. We have to refuse to disempower anyone and become empowering. This is the kind of culture that carries world-changing mercy and grace. A community like this that values freedom above all else, that is a community that God will entrust with true revival. A community like this, one whose members are actively searching for sinners to forgive and not to condemn and reprimand. That is the community that Jesus sees his reflection in and will make his home in. 
A community like this is, is one that gives novices a chance to make wisdom-creating mistakes and covers them when they grow, as they're growing. That is the community that God will actually send the future great ones and the leaders of, of the future for training and development. If that's a community that you want to be a part of, then I want you to stand with me and ask God to create that community in us. I'm going to pray. Don't you dare stay seated. <laughs> Jesus, we want to be marked by mercy and grace. We want you to make your home here. We want you to believe that we are uh, worthy of uh, the task of training up people who are going to change the world. So God, we receive your mercy and we ask for every bit of grace that we can have. Any grace, any anointing that is hovering over Dallas that is, is been neglected, we want it. We want to be that community that you will send people to, that you will entrust people's hearts to. Thank you for the grace that you've put on this, uh, this community, this, this family. We ask for more. And we thank you for your mercy ahead of time when we make mistakes and we, we stumble towards our calling as a people and as individuals. Give us more. Give us your presence. We love you. Amen.